Well, you probably know by now that we've been working through the book of 1 Peter um, since the beginning of last year and for the foreseeable future. In particular, right now, we're locked into chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and it's really a wonderful, uh, marvelous passage as the Holy Spirit moves Peter to reveal God's will to us, God's will for His church. And that reminds me to say once again that if you want to know the will of God, you must know the Word of God. If you want to know the will of God, you must know the Word of God. And we have been found, we have found in this study throughout 1 Peter that you and I as Christians are called to a particular, to a a peculiar role and responsibility in this world. And that is that we are called as Christians to exclaim the excellencies of the Lord who has called us out of our darkness and into His marvelous light. We are called, in other words, to proclaim His superiority, His excellence, In a world that is filled with lesser gods. And one of the ways that we do that is simply by living as a Christian. God is calling us very simply, very bluntly, very clearly to live this life as a Christian. And over the past number of weeks, we've been working slowly through this issue of what we're calling Christian living. That's what Peter addresses in 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 7 through 11. And we have found that there are some important aspects in this passage of Scripture. Now, what I'm going to do today is just review where we have been, because I know we've been kind of stalled out here for a while, and I don't want you to forget where we have been. We have found, first of all, that there is a great incentive for Christian living, a great incentive to living as a Christian, and that is simply that the end of all things is at hand. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. That's what he wants us to focus on. The, the end. There is a very real end, a very real uh, uh, completion of God's plan for all things, and there's a very near end. It's, it's at hand. The time is short. But then we found in verses 7 through 11, we move from incentive to to instructions for some basic instructions for Christian living. Now, those instructions centered around three things. One, praying, and we spent a week talking about praying. Then two, loving. And then three, suffer or serving. Now, we talked a number of weeks about praying. We talked a number of weeks about loving. Um, we cannot allow the reality that the end of all things is at hand to be the basis for nonsense living. The imminency of the end does not call for spiritual silliness, and it certainly does not call for spiritual slothness, slothfulness. One commentator said, the nearness of the end has led some believers to lose their head and act irrationally. We're not to act irrationally, rather center our Christian living on these three areas, praying, loving, and serving. Praying in terms of our communication to God, a clear-minded, self-controlled seriousness, and that, that is really good counsel for all of us. 
Don't allow anything in these last days to hinder your communion with and your communication to God. And I'll tell you what, a frame of mind or a perspective that is not spiritually observant, but rather spiritually reckless is, is, and not sound, actually causes a hindrance to our relationship to God. But not only in our relationship to God, but in our relationship to others. Not only does he talk about praying, but he talks about loving. Instead of doing what the way of the world would be, which would be seeking revenge, being filled with bitterness, being filled with hatred, instead of that, pray and love. And that's a command for us Christians, a command for us to love. Now, we took some time to look at two specific aspects of love, hospitality and forgiveness. I just want to say one last thing on this issue of forgiveness. What occurred to me this week is that Peter says love covers, and he doesn't just say a few sins here and there, but he says love covers a multitude of sins. And that served to remind me, now he's speaking to the local church here, that served to remind me that it should be expected for you and I that you and I would encounter one another's sins in the church. In other words, it should not be surprising if someone sins against you in the church. It's a known thing. It's an expected thing. We are supposed to cover sins by forgiveness in the church. We should not fail to expect that there would be the need to forgive one another. Why would we expect anything less? Expect to have to forgive one another. Now, as you see in the screen, these instructions for Christian living include praying, loving, and now serving. And by the way, in that text, if you'll just notice verses 7 through 11, the repetition of the phrase one another, verse 8, love one another, verse 9, be hospitable to one another, verse 10, serve one another. The, the apostle Paul, or Peter is addressing the subject of now our serving one another, what we call the use of our spiritual gifts. He's talking about the work of service that is to take place within the body of Christ, within the local church. He's very specific here. He's talking about how this Christian life is lived out toward, with, for one another. Very specifically related to the local church. So what I want to do today is I want to show you, so, so we're going to look at this text, there, there's an incentive to it, there's instruction for it, and then lastly, there's the intention of Christian living. I want to finish looking at the instruction, I want to look at the instruction to serve, and then we'll finish up by seeing the intention of Christian living in verse 11. What we're going to do this morning is look at this issue of serving. Most of the time is going to be spent on this issue of serving. And I want to invite you to consider with me what it means to live as a Christian in terms of our service in the body of Christ. Let's think together what does it mean to live as a Christian in terms of our service 
within the body of Christ. And if you do that, you will notice in this text that there are four facts that God wants you to know. God has called you here this morning. He has opened His Word to us this morning to declare these four facts. Look at verse 7. Let me read the entire text, and then we'll look at these facts together. He says in verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, Four facts that God wants you to know regarding living as a Christian in terms of our service in the body of Christ. Those four facts are the power for serving is, and then we'll fill in that blank. The second thing we'll notice is the, and I've forgotten what it is here, so let me just look past my notes here. Man, I got a lot of, the profit of serving is, then thirdly, the practice of serving is, And then lastly, the purpose for serving is. You'll be able to, understanding the text, you'll be able to finish these statements of facts. Number one, the power for serving. Look what he says again in verse 10. As each has received a gift. He says, the end of verse 10, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, the very first thing that stands out in this passage as you read this section is this emphasis. Each one. In fact, in the original language, in the emphatic position, the very first word is is emphasized. Each one. Each specific individual. Each one. Each individual Christian has received a gift. Now, it's really important that we're well informed by the Scriptures. Because again, the Scriptures is God's revelation of His will. If you want to know God's will, you have to know His Word. And it is really important that we are well informed by the Scriptures on this subject. Otherwise, we're going to end up in a very confusing place. If we are going to know anything about this, we're going to have to search the Scriptures, understand the Scriptures. When it comes to this issue of spiritual service, particularly spiritual gifts, there are four New Testament passages you have to remember. Just remember the numbers 12 and 4. All right? Primarily, you're going to look at Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4. Essentially, basically, these are the texts that deal with the issue of spiritual gifts. Now, here in 1 Peter chapter 4, I want you to consider the word gift. Each one has received a gift. The word Peter uses here is the word charisma. Charisma. It speaks of the result of grace. You've heard the word before. Somebody who has charisma or charismata Maybe you heard of the word, the, 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 the charismatic movement or the charismatic 
church. Typically, the, the, the Pentecostal, uh, Assembly of God, Church of God, um, um, Pentecostal holiness, third wave, New Apostolic Reformation, represented mostly in, in some of those popular music today. Hillsong, uh, what is the other? Bethel, uh, Elevation. At best, these are very misinformed, and at worst, they end up being tools to deceive the masses with doctrinal error. I don't want to really spend a whole lot of time with this, but I was thinking about it this week, and so I just looked up some local places and just kind of listened in to to the kind of theology that we would get. And what I found is some of the worst theology. Uh, Actually, one pastor in a large local church stood up on Baptism Sunday and explained to his church that it is when you get into the baptismal tank that you become a new creature. That your sins are washed away when you get into that tank. And and again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, but I want you to understand that mixed together with this misunderstanding of spiritual gifts becomes this, this doctrinal impurity, this doctrinal error that can actually lead you away from the truth and thus lead you away from true salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about spiritual gifts, we're not talking about the charismatic church. We're not talking about uh, uh, those, those ecstatic movements or, 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 or ecstatic gifts when we talk about spiritual gifts. Someone has given this definition for spiritual gift. He said this, and I think this is good. A spiritual gift is a graciously given supernaturally designed ability granted to every believer by which the Holy Spirit ministers to the body of Christ for the glory of the Father. It's a special gift. A special enabling. A particular capacitation. I didn't realize it that my three-year-old grandson was such a scriptural exegete But I learned it this week when he said to me, Pap, Jesus gives us superpowers. Now, I doubt that he had in mind what Peter's speaking about here, but the point maybe is illustrated. The power for serving one another is God, particularly an act of his grace. It's not something that comes from your ability. Not something that comes from your pursuit. It doesn't even come from your education. It comes from God. Listen to this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then he says this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I think that's a great summary of what a spiritual gift is. The manifestation of the Spirit. It is through spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God demonstrates His presence among us. The Holy Spirit does not apportion only a few select, but He apportions, He appoints to each and every Christian. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I just want you to see this in black and white. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
and verse 11. By the way, thank you for, for diligently bringing your Bibles and turning and following along. Someone said to me this week, he said, Pastor Joe, I've been visiting your church for a few weeks now. He said, when I walked in, I, I thought I was in another world because I noticed everyone carrying a Bible and everyone listening along and partic- uh, partaking together with the scriptures. And he said, I was particularly encouraged and challenged with that. So thank you for following along. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Notice what he says here. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. He apportions or distributes to each one. He divides or distributes to each one. This is the individual sense here. What God is teaching us is that God not only gives different gifts, but listen, He specifically gives those different gifts to specific people Not indiscriminately, but individually. And that is exactly what Peter is making the point of in our text in 1 Peter chapter 4. Each has received a gift. A gift, what I like to call a supernatural enabling to serve Christ by serving His church. He does this universally throughout the entire church, but He also does it individually. So the question is not, am I gifted? The question is, am I a Christian? Am I a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received a gift. This is not something that is yours as the owner, but rather you are the steward. I like what one man said. He said, Peter's imagery depicts believers individually as stewards ministering to the needs of the household of God with the means that their master has entrusted to them. You are a steward. That means that you've been given something that is not yours. You've been entrusting, trusted with something of which you are not the owner, but you are a steward. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been entrusted. Listen, brothers and sisters, you have been entrusted with a unique, particular capacitation to attend to the needs of the body of Christ. The steward serves the master and gives an account to the master. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what do you have that you haven't received? There's there's no taking pride in this. There's no holding onto it and getting your chest puffed up as as if you're something. What have you that you have not received? You see, what happened, brothers and sisters, is that when God placed you into the family of God, you were given a gift of grace, not only the grace of salvation, but the grace of service. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a believer because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the active work of the Holy Spirit. But when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that was not the end of the Holy Spirit's work in you because God, through His Spirit, also empowers various kinds of spiritual gifts in, uh, of gift in each specific believer. Listen, I don't believe that the Scripture teaches that the spiritual gifting of each individual Christian is separate from the call into the family of God. I don't believe it's separate from the sovereign appointment to the body of Christ. 
We know no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That is a gift of sovereign grace, an undeserved, unmerited gift of God. Your ability, my ability, your willingness, my willingness to confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ is something that only results from the inner compulsion of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit so effectually worked in your heart so as to bring you to faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ, He at one and the same time placed you into the body of Christ. Think of that metaphor, the body of Christ. And and that gives us the idea that that each part and each member is specifically placed and crafted in just the right part for God's overall purposes. In other words, he assigned you, when he saved you, he assigned you a role in the body of Christ. He assigned you a role in the church. And that role is your unique spiritual capacitation, your unique spiritual gift. He entrusted you with the responsibility within the family of God, which is to be particularly applied, listen, within a local body of believers. I'm not talking about a second blessing. I'm not talking about something that is subsequent to you becoming a Christian. It's actually part of you becoming a Christian. When he worked in you to repent of your sin and to confess the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, that was an act of grace. And at that same time, what I'm saying to you that the scripture teaches is that he crafted you with a particular, sovereignly apportioned role in the body of Christ. And Peter says that we are stewards of God's varied grace. There, there are all kinds of, there, there, there's different shades of grace. I remember talking to John Hardesty. John is a, an artist and we were talking about light and how light impacts the, the particular painting that he's working on and how light is, you know, you can get uh, something from a particular angle that you look at a painting and then you, you want to see what is reflected and what is refracted and all that kind of stuff. And, and each canvas is different that, uh, upon which he paints. And God is the master painter and he knows how to work all of those things together. He knows just perfectly how, how to put that together. Look, if you ask me to do something artistic, give me a coloring book and about three crayons and that's the best I'm going to get. But you get somebody like John Hardesty and and he brings together all of the, it's like a master just putting it and you're like, man, I've never seen those things before. And he says, yeah, that's right, because I know the canvas was this and the light was here and this was happening and whatnot. God does the exact same thing. All different kinds of shades mixing together his gift masterfully, weaving them together in order to produce the goal of his work. There isn't just one or two spiritual gifts. There isn't even a list of gifts. You know, as if you can take some mail-in test and send it in and get it back to you and some computer will tell you what your gift is. No, there are categories of gifts from which God skillfully blends and incorporates a proficiency or a capability and a desire so as to serve the needs of each local congregation. That's why Paul uses the metaphor again of the body. 
Not each member does the same function, but together serves the purpose of the body. So what I mean to say to you is that when you were brought into the family of God, you were specifically assigned, created within the family with a role, a responsibility, given and empowered by God himself. He has given you a unique capacity to make a contribution to the spiritual health and well-being of the body of Christ particularly within a local assembly. So, the power, the power for serving is God. It is, it is a gift of grace in which He uniquely capacitates you to serve His purpose for the sake of the spiritual health and well-being of the body of Christ. That's the power of or for our spiritual service. Secondly, I want you to look at the profit of serving. Back in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. I like what John Calvin says. He says, no member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. Maybe you kept your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you did, turn there back there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at verse 11, but I want you to look up now a few verses to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And then look, look at this, for the common good. That's the profit. That's the benefit of a spiritual gift. It is intended to benefit the common good of the local assembly. Peter says, use it to serve one another. It's interesting, that word serve is a word that refers to what a, a, a table waiter does. It is the wait staff at a table. You, he says, have been given an entrustment from God, an ability, a, a, a unique assignment to do service for one another. And Peter is speaking here of the responsibility to one another. Paul says we have a spiritual gifting for the profit or for the benefit of the local community of believers. In other words, what we're speaking of here is an interactive relationship of rendering service for the sake of the spiritual health and well-being of other believers. I'm going to say it again. You have been entrusted uniquely with the capacity to serve the local gathering of the saints with which no one else has been entrusted. You ever see um, one of those what we call memes, uh, like something on, on social media, and it'll have, you know, if, if you can read this, you're, you're, you're really smart, and it'll have, you know, a missing letter in each word, uh, and you can still get it. What if the church was like that? You say, well, you know, some people just didn't show up, some people aren't serving, and that, that but, but we can still make do with it. Yeah, but it's still annoying, isn't it? It's still a whole lot easier just to read the words with every letter present because that's what it is for. When every member is not doing what they're designed to do, yeah, things might get along, you might limp along and be able to, to accomplish, but it's just annoying, isn't it? 
John MacArthur said this, Your gift is what you do when you're filled with the Spirit of Christ to serve the body of Christ, which produces a positive impact. You have to ask and answer a very important question. And that is this. What is it that you do when you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, which serves the body of Christ for the sake of maturing believers? Why has God placed you into His body? Has He placed you into His body? Are you part of the body of Christ? And I can imagine someone saying, well, I am, but I'm just not serving. Well, then I have to ask yourself, a que- you have to ask this question. What is your reason for being? Let me tell you something. If I have something growing in my body that is not serving the purpose of my body, that is a very dangerous thing. That is potentially deadly. A cancer that is actually hindering the purpose of the body. So, we might say this, the profit of serving, the benefit of serving, is that it is the body of Christ, specifically the local congregation, that is to profit from the unique capacitation which God has entrusted to you and no one else. Third, look at the practice of serving Back in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, we have to understand that for us today, there are two categories of the, uh, uh, in which the Spirit of God operates for enabling us to serve one another. Two primary categories. Peter says here, speaking and serving. These are the categories from which God weaves together exactly what the body needs. And you will be able to identify your purpose by looking for gifts, particularly of serving and speaking. Are you given to encouragement? to edification, exhortation. Maybe, maybe you have the ability to give truly wise and helpful counsel and to do it patiently, enduring with people as they work their way through. Maybe you have that, that, that wise counsel of knowledge and, and discernment or the ability to lead or, or teach. I love Peter's admonition here. If you speak, Speak like you're speaking words from God. Speak like you mean it. What what is that like? Well, it's certainly taking it seriously. Not ignoring it. Not lacking in sobriety as you go about talking to others. It's not getting impatient and feeling like, uh, you know, no one's giving you the respect that you deserve, but it is rather giving careful and thoughtful words intended on building up the body of Christ. It's not speaking haphazardly or from the hip, but carefully chosen words which are carefully thought out, how they will hit, where the words are needed, how to effectively lead others for the cause of Christ, and what about counsel and encouragement and exhortation, making sure that it is filled with The Word of God. If you speak, then make sure it counts. 
And if you serve, some of you might have the gift of serving. Well, Peter says, do it in the strength that God supplies. What does that mean? Well, it means not in your own strength. You have to be under the control of the Holy Spirit in a position of yieldedness and submission to Him. Not under the control of the flesh. Listen, serve, and this is important because so much serving can be self-focused and and insofar as you're really trying to fulfill your own desires and, and get attention for yourself. That's not the strength that God supplies. And listen, when you're serving others, it can be very draining. It should be very draining. And you've got to do it in the power of God that is under His control and dependent upon His strength. So that means... You wake up and you're tired and you just give out. But you come to Him and you ask Him for the sake of His glory to strengthen you very literally and physically and to give you the ability to so die to yourself and to so fill you with unction to keep you keeping on because you got nothing left and you've been called to a tenderness and caring for the body. And you need to do that in the strength that God supplies, which means that you are so moved by the Holy Spirit and so dependent on Him that you don't give in to your fleshly and natural tendencies towards impatience and harshness. And you come to God and you offer yourself to Him saying, Here I am, Lord. Take me. Use me. Give me what I need to see the needs of your people the way that you see the needs of your people. So move in me, I pray without ceasing that I might think as you think and speak as you think or, and, and speak as you speak and act as you act. That is serving with the strength God supplies. You are in constant need. That's how you see yourself. The gift of grace is given to each one according to their place in the church. And listen, I'll just say this, and according to their place in the history of the church. In other words, no one can say today that you have the gifts of an apostle. Why? Well, because the apostolic age is no more. I want you to look at this chart as I I talk and just think about this. Some gifts were temporary gifts Some were temporary in the sense that they were transitioning, and some are permanent. There is no longer in God's economy the gift of languages, or people call it tongues. It's no longer in God's economy active today. Why? That was a specific sign for a specific time as a sign of judgment on the nation of Israel. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that it had an inbuilt expiration period. Other gifts, so, so, so there are, there's no tongues today, there's no special languages today. Other gifts were specific to a time of revelation, like the gifts of prophecy or knowledge. So when the word of God was completed, those gifts faded from the scene. And they transitioned, and, and prophecy kind of transitioned over to, to the word that's being preached as opposed to revelation. And maybe the serving Serving gifts, Uh, we can talk about things like administration and and leadership, giving and and mercy. These are unique to specific points in church history and unique to specific local assemblies. Each local assembly has specific serving needs, maybe that are unique to that local assembly. 
And maybe that serving is in giving or administrating or tenderly showing mercy to those in need. The practice of serving is to be in proportion with the gifting of, that God has entrusted to you and to your particular circumstances according to the needs of your local congregation. So again, let me quote MacArthur. He said, your gift is what you do when you're filled with the Spirit of God to serve the body of Christ, which produces a positive impact. That's your gift. Let me move now to number four, the fourth fact. So, so the third fact, the practice of serving is to be in proportion with the gift God has entrusted to you and in your particular circumstance according to the need of your local congregation. Fourth, the purpose for serving is what? Well, we look down back at 1 Peter chapter 4 and at the end of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is what will really sing to the watching world. This is what will really proclaim the excellencies of our great God. Because we are living life in absolute dependence upon Him and our acts of speaking and service to one another. So that whatever you do for the body of Christ, we are seeking the glory of God through Jesus Christ. The purpose of our spiritual gift is that we should be led to put the attention on God the Father because of Jesus Christ. To glorify God is worship. Mixed together with thanksgiving and recognition and admiration, all wrapped up into one. I like to speak of glorifying God in terms of taking the spotlight and shining it onto God. That's what we do in our speaking and serving for the sake of one another in such a way that we draw attention and honor and thanks and recognition and admiration, not to us, but to God. That is the proper, by the way, that's the proper response to receiving the benefits of spiritual gifts. When you are blessed, and by the way, we, are, we have been blessed to be recipients of, of this presence and, and activity of God in our midst. When you are blessed to be the recipient of a spiritual gift, or of the benefit of a spiritual gift that is bringing you into conformity with Jesus Christ, the praise doesn't go back to the person who has the gift. The praise goes back to the person who gave the gift. Do you understand? When, you are, when, when someone uses a spiritual capacitation that they have been given such that you are brought into conformity with the image of Jesus Christ, you give God glory through Jesus Christ. The purpose of serving is the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Those are four facts under serving that God wants you to know. Now, I just want to show you how this text ends. And you would almost think that Peter is bringing his, his writing to an end, but he's going to go on for another chapter and a half, and we're going to go on for another year and a half. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, and this is the intention of our Christian living. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The section wraps up with Peter calling out the intention of Christian living. This unites what he has been saying 
with the theme of this great letter. And I want you to remind you again of the theme of this great letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You and I have been called out of darkness into the light of God in order to proclaim His far surpassing excellence. We are called to testify of His eminence and preeminence in terms of His glorious nature and attributes. And that is exactly what happens when you live as a Christian in the world filled with lesser gods. And this isn't rocking science. It's not so difficult. It's not unattainable. He's just talking about living as a Christian in terms of praying, in terms of loving, and in terms of serving. That's it. And when you live in such a way, that directs the attention to God. That says not something about you. It says not something about us. It says everything about Him. What? One, God's eternal glory. To Him is the glory. I might ask the question, to Him who? Well, the nearest antecedent is Jesus Christ. So it will be natural to see Peter is referring to the eternal glory or the magnificent reputation of Christ. And it would also be true to refer to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the one to whom Peter refers. Take your pick. Because the intention of our life is to reflect the glorious person of our great God and Savior. We long to so live that He receives what is due Him, namely the praise of His glorious nature. The intention of living as a Christian is not simply you know, an improved society or a better life or a more profitable business, or a bigger home. The intention of living as a Christian is the eternal renown of our all-glorious God. That is what we aim at, day by day and moment by moment. Whether Listen, whether we are discipling our children, or preparing a meal, or teaching a class, or singing a song, working in the field, or serving our boss, flying a plane, or driving a car, changing a diaper, or preaching a sermon... Comforting the downtrodden, rejoicing in gladness, writing an email, sending a text, taking a photo, or enjoying a vacation. We are always aiming at the eternal renown of the Almighty God. That is the all-encompassing intent of the Christian life. Paul said, so that whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. To Him be glory forever." Amen. Not only God's eternal glory, but God's eternal dominion. I don't want to miss this because he says in verse 11, to him belong glory and dominion. And maybe my favorite word is used here is the word kratos. And it refers to to the grip of the right hand of almighty God. It speaks of perfect sovereign power and kingly reign. In other words, we live as a Christian because, his, because of His eternal power and dominion. He is worthy of ruling everywhere and over all things. We live as a Christian because of His eternal dominion over everything, even though we might not see it right now. Our lives express something of the ultimate dominion, strength, authority, and sovereignty of God. That's why we live as a Christian. His glory and His dominion. And what is the resonating response of Christians throughout the ages? Amen. And by the way, that's not a wish. That is a confident expectation. Let it be. Let it be. So, 
Let me come back now just to draw uh, some points of application, particularly in this issue of, of serving the church by using our spiritual gift. Um, a couple of questions. How do I know how I have been supernaturally enabled to serve Christ by serving His church? So I'm assuming, I'm speaking to somebody who knows they're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you understand that when God made you a believer, He particularly crafted you and intentionally, sovereignly placed you in the body, and now you're just trying to figure out how it is that you're gifted to participate in other believers becoming like Jesus Christ, because that's the goal. We're growing up into the head who is Jesus. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. That's why God gives spiritual gifts so that you and I can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So how is it that we discover the gift that we have? It's primarily an issue of discovering the will of God. If you want to know the will of God, you've got to know the Word of God, God's intention for these spiritual gifts. Why did God place you into His family? He placed you into His family in order that you not only might be saved as a child of God, but that you might be part of the family and helping that family of God grow up into Christ-likeness. You really need to ask yourself some questions like, what things do you like to do? What, what things do you notice need to be done? What are you able to do? What do godly people say? What is necessary? Simply this. Consider your local congregation, okay? Consider the body of Christ. Look around. Think about one another right now for a moment. What is necessary in order to affect Christ-likeness in that person sitting in front of you, beside you, behind you? What is necessary to, to influence their spiritual maturity, the spiritual maturity of this congregation? This question is particularly helpful because where you see the need is not where everyone else will necessarily see the need. And so often... Where you see the need opens up opportunity and opportunity almost always reveals ability. How many times did you do something, say something, and, so, and, and you said, where did that come from? I didn't know I had that in me. You didn't know it until you had that opportunity, that need. And this might be on an organizational, structural level. But I'm not just talking about within these four walls. Certainly, I want you to think about if, if you serve in nursery or whatever it is that you do, you're not just serving in nursery to watch kids. You're, you're intentional. I am in there. I'm rocking babies. I'm changing diapers for the sake of spiritual maturity. Man, if we could start thinking like that about everything. I'm, I'm seeking to help this brother or sister become more like Jesus. Consider your local congregation. Then ask questions like, I would ask you, what kind of things do you like to do? Where do you see the needs? What kind of things do you like to be done? Or like to do? What things do godly people say, man, when you do this, say this, or you're, 
you sent me a card last week or you're stopping to pray with me or your discipleship over my life. Are you taking time with me to study the scriptures and encourage? Man, I just want you to know I have become more like Jesus Christ because of that. That's a good indication of what your gift might be. Where do you see needs? What is necessary in the family of God? And then I I want you to remember this as well. Remember that your gifts and abilities can take you to a place where your character cannot keep you. It's very important for you to seek humility and to seek to cultivate Christ-likeness in your own life, to seek to come before the Lord and, and seek His constant growth and becoming more like Jesus, constant growth in uh, uh, honing in your spiritual skills for the glory of God. Develop character. This is not just about doing, it's not just about saying, it's about your heart. Lots of people have risen to to areas and, and, and become influential people and they get there and their character can't keep them there. Keep that in mind as you look for ways to to be a a source for helping to develop Christ-likeness in the midst of this church family. All to the end that God is glorified. All to the end that, that, that a world filled with lesser gods would say, what is going on with those people? How in the world is, what's happening there? You're proclaiming the excellency of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Well, I think that finishes verses 7 through 11. And we'll come next week to verse 12. And and if you were sad that we stopped talking about suffering so much, take heart because we'll start talking about it again next week. Let's pray.